The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your illustrious host, the one, the only, the feeling pretty today because I'm a delicate flower. <laughs> you know, people need to go to our website and look at your picture. They would laugh <laughs> their ass off at what you just said. No, Ken, can you get a little closer to your mic because yeah, uh, the well, wavelengths I are... I wasn't talking very loud because I don't want to wake up your son. Oh, that makes sense. Hold on, let's just yeah. up then. <laughs> yeah. We have controls on a board. It's This is great. I know. That's what happens when people give you control over anything. Ta-da! <laughs> All right. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, Tammy, the Sasquatch, Underwood. Say, grrr. You know what? I'll do it. Grrr. Just was, for you today. <laughs> that was a damn good grrr. I know. Okay. So, before we get into the Keith Jesperson calls and everything like that, we've got a little bit of business to do. So, check this out, boys and girls. We have a new Etsy store that is up, running, and online. And this is unique like you wouldn't ever believe. Yes, it deals Dude. with serial killers. Yes, but. But from the fucked up mind of Tammy and I. <laughs> I was going to say, from our minds. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you where my turning point was, where I realized that I probably should be talking to my shrink more and more and more, is when uh, when we were creating the Jeffrey Dahmer one. Oh, yeah. And it, uh, the Jeffrey Dahmer one, uh, for those of you that don't know yet, says Jeffrey Dahmer's Delicatessen or no, something. No, Meat Shop. Meat Shop. That's it. Specializing in ethnic cuts. Yes. Eth- prime ethnic cuts. Yep. And as soon as I, I said that, I went, I went, oh, my God. I need more therapy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm we need up. help. Well, and the funny part about it is that people only people who listen to our show are truly going to get the Dennis Rader one. <laughs> yeah. Because it says, Dennis Rader wants to know, have you ever been tied up? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's, I mean, it's funny. And people who don't listen to our show might, you know, they'll think it's funny on a different level. Right. Or, you know, whacked out on a different level. But it's like people who listen to our show will be like, oh, my God, I can't believe they put that on a shirt. <laughs> There are shirts for everyone who likes serial killers, and then yeah. we covered a lot. And we're, I mean, we covered 28 of them. Well, here, here's the thing. is like, And we're working on more. We started off just wanting to do five or six shirts, mm-hmm. but then, because, you know, Tammy's pretty messed up in the head. I kind of am. And I'm very <laughs> messed up in the head. Because of that... We just kept going. <laughs> we kept going. Like the Energizer Bunny, we just kept going yeah. and going There and was going. no stopping us. So there'll be a link... Uh, yes, in, in in the description, in the description on the episodes. Yes. Um, also, you can access it by if you got Facebook, and I think everybody should, even though well, yeah, you know, a lot of people don't use it. Well, because Mark Zuckerberg's a piece of shit. I yeah. th- let's just call a spade a spade. Yeah, and I mean, we're going to start um, posting more on Twitter, and um, we're trying to set up a TikTok too. Right, right. Because um, I love TikTok. I know you do, I've and been... I think it'd be funny if we did our TikTok videos. You know, because we are so whacked out that. You know, if people saw us, they'd be like, "Oh my god, these guys are idiots." I've got I've got a private TikTok, and I keep I, I've been on this kick where I call Jake every morning, and I tell him a horrible joke. But then people are reacting really well because I'll wait till he's sitting on the couch, and I go, "Hey, Jake!" <laughs> oh, so you do it on your TikTok? Oh yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah, I've got him recorded. <laughs> um, he got me good yesterday though. So I'm sitting here at the desk, and I look at him. I'm, hey, Jake! And he goes. Oh, God, what? I go, but look on your face, and you know what's coming. Uh-huh. Yeah, we always go, do. <laughs> Jake, what comes after 69? He goes, what comes after 69? 
And I go, mouthwash. <laughs> but then he got me good. And he's sleeping right now, so I'm, not, I'm trying not to talk really loud. But he's right there. Oh, he's, oh he's, right, he's back on the couch. That means I can tell better jokes. He goes, and a towel. <laughs> so then my rebuttal was, I go, is that what your boyfriend tells you? And he goes, no, that's what your boyfriend tells you. You know, Chief White Claw. Oh, no. He pulled out the Chief White Claw. He pulled out Chief White Claw. <laughs> I can't believe he did that. I'm, just, I'm still mortified. I'm surprised he didn't bring up Dick, you know, the one that gives you your <laughs> my, my other dispatcher. That's why I've never telling Chief White Claw that. I've never felt so gay in my life. I've, I never thought I'd be saying that I'd be sitting in a hotel room waiting for Dick. <laughs> to give me my load. <laughs> to, give, to give me his load. <laughs> waiting for, my, for a load from Dick. Oh, my God. We are horrible. Yeah, Jay. We, we need help. I'll tell you, man, because. But people are reacting well to that. So, yeah, we'll get some TikTok. Tic Tacs, TikToks, TikToks, yeah. Ticking time my, bomb. Well, and my son tried to get me on TikTok the other day, but I started crying, so he didn't post it. Because he came in. Because, okay, people who really know me know there's two, like, celebrities that are on my hall pass list. Number one is Drew Carey, because I don't care how big he is or what he looks like, he is hot as fuck to me. However, the other one is Donnie Wahlberg, because I have loved him since I was a teenager. And, I mean, I used to have a whole wall dedicated to Donnie. But, so my son comes in and goes, Mom, I just saw a news report that said Donnie Wahlberg died at the age of 47 from a heart attack. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I said, you're lying. He goes, no, I'm serious. And I started crying. And he goes... Never mind. He goes, I'm just kidding. I'm like, don't you ever do that to me again. And then I thought about it after he left. I'm like, wait a minute. How can he be 47 when he's older than me? And I'm almost 48. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, don't do that to me. I think it would have been freaking hilarious. That's no. Just All right. So let's get into the Jesperson calls. Are you ready for this? I'm, you know, I've, I'm ready for it because today is a... Anniver- the the exact anniversary because we're recording this on Saturday. Right, right, yeah. Today's yes. the anniversary. Of, yeah, <coughs> of the Tanya Bennett murder. I also want to throw out there that uh, that this is also your birthday week. It is my birthday's Monday. On Monday, you turn yeah. like ninety eight years old or something. I'm only forty eight. I'm younger than you, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> my son's on the From couch Dick. making yeah. fucking comments. I'm going to shoot him in the pecker. <laughs> Yeah, you, 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 you want to know why? what's going to make me a serial killer? I want you to take a look to your right on the couch. You know what? You already know what's going to make me. A, I'm not just going to be a serial killer. I'm just going to be a one-hit wonder because <laughs> it's you. <laughs> it probably is because, you know, me and your mom, when she comes here for vacation, we got our hot date planned. <laughs> like I told you this morning that m- mom and my sister wanted to know why you haven't been talking about my mom as much. But my sister's still in the episodes when I was gone for that period of time. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, it's because I'm not there. Just wait till I come back. <laughs> yeah, that's because me and your mom had to send each other little love notes via text. Like, oh, my I God. miss you too, huh, Mama? <laughs> You're mm. so bad. I hate you. <laughs> you, me. Okay. 55 gallons of lube. <laughs> okay, Joel knows I'm going to say this. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right, let's get to the Jesperson calls. All right. Well, good, good morning, morning. Keith. Nice talking to you. Yeah. Oh, how? How's oh, your day going just, so far? You know, I kind of woke up. <laughs> so <laughs> you I, know what? <laughs> kind of me too. Even though I've been up since five thirty. Well, actually, you know. I had my uh, I had breakfast at about six o'clock. So and I just lay down and decided to wait until the time was right, and this was the time. So 
There you go. Now, there now, you there's go. a few oh, things works. I kind of wanted to talk about before we got, you know, we talked about the end of uh, how I got them out of prison. Uh, I wanted I wanted to right. rehash right. this in, in, in a way because I had, there, there's some questions that keep coming up, you know, like, you know, they, they, people ask me about how my, uh, how I got a good lawyer like Tom Phelan. You know, they, because see, okay. um, if I were to uh, put him against any of the top criminal lawyers in the country, I would, because he was a, he's a really good attorney. But the, uh, you ever watch that show Caddyshack? Yeah, you like oh, the show yes. there? Okay, so well, the I premise the of the show is uh, all these kids are in there, they're, they're caddying for the golfers, right? They've got these, this, they're, they're, they're all in there in a group. They're all waiting for the golfers to show up. Well, that's very typical of the public defender's office. The public defender's office is oh, a, yeah. a group of lawyers that, uh, and some of these have private, private, uh, you know, got their shingle hung on the wall, but they, they also need the public defender's office to send them money for for clients because if they waited for people to call them, right. they wouldn't have any clients. You know, they may be the best lawyer in the world, right. but without, without, uh, and most of the people that are criminals don't have enough money to pay for an attorney. And so they are, they're, they're all subject to getting uh, a group of, of, of individuals coming along. And it's kind of the, you fall under a lucky star if you get a good attorney. Because the public defender is, yeah, is handed to you and he doesn't know who you are. When you come along, other than that, you're maybe convicted. You're going to be convicted of murder, and he gets a, a, a set amount of money. Like um, I think my attorney told me that he gets fifty thousand dollars to take a a, a a murder case to full full term. In other words, all the way through trial. And wow. that may sound like a lot of money, even back in 1995 when I fell. Right, but right now I don't know right. what it is. I don't know what public defenders get for 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 trial, but it's I bet it's probably either, probably a hundred thousand. That's what that that'd be my guess is it's gonna be closer to a hundred grand, especially with inflation and oh yeah. Because right now, dude, the the cost of everything is just astronomical. Cost of living is horrible. Well, everything's gone yeah, up. Uh, matter of fact, Jake and I went. So oh yeah. Oh, yeah, what he was getting fifty grand per case. Now, back then, he fell under a lucky star because uh, he got me, and I fell under a lucky star because I got him, because he's a good attorney. I've, I've run into mm -hmm. a couple of attorneys that, you know, I wouldn't uh, hand them over a, a small claims court case because it, I right. just would not do <laughs> I've it. Seen a few like they, that. They, they're not a good criminal attorney or, or a civil attorney, as a matter of fact. So there's a, there's a couple guys up there that, you know, that, that I met, there, like George Colin. George, is, he, he, he comes to work mm -hmm. with this, um, he looks like uh, Benny Hill, right? And he acts <laughs> like, and he has his, has his little derby hat, and he, and, and he wants to dress the part as, as, as an attorney. Now, he's a great guy, don't get me wrong, but he's, he's no criminal attorney. I mean, he's no really, he's not a Tom Phelan right. like I had. Now, now, the problem I right. had with Tom Phelan is that Tom Wander was looking forward to going to trial 
because that would be his defining moment of his career to represent a serial killer in, in court. He wanted to do the right. trial thing. He thought that, no, he didn't believe in the death penalty, so what he did is he wanted to take my murder in the first degree and drop it to murder in the second degree. Like, when we're talking about crime, it's all about the degrees. It's not about whether you're innocent or guilty anymore. Oh, yeah. So his biggest thing that he wanted right. to do with my case was he felt that he could take it to trial and he could get me down to murder in a second degree in all of my cases. And wow. the problem with that is, the way I look at it, he had he had his agenda, that's what he wanted to do, but my agenda was to get the two people out of prison. And, right. and that was my that was what I was running up against because see he wanted to go to trial and of course I had other I had other plans, right? I was gonna work on, on, on getting them out of prison. The only way only way I could do that was to get rid of the gag order. And the gag order right. was in my way. So if I could get the gag order out of my way and I could get to the press and the press could force the issue and get those people, help me get those people out because the people over there in Multnomah County didn't want anything to do with um, the press. They didn't want to be told that they were doing anything, they did anything wrong. And of yeah, course, exactly. with, one of the things you got to understand with lawyers is that they are officers of the court, which means... They are they rep they play the same ball game as the prosecutors do in the court because they they have to keep the prosecutors informed of what's going on, and I didn't want my lawyers to know didn't want my lawyers to know what was going on because I was too busy trying to orchestrate this whole shenanigans about going this way and that way and trying to do it as quickly as possible because in the legal system in the legal system right. everything slows down. And the the worst oh, yeah, thing totally. they want is to be speeded up. And of course, all I wanted to do is hurry up. I wanted them to get this done, get this done, get this done, right. and they didn't want to do it. All they wanted to do was to right. proper proper run proper courtroom procedure, which is slow everything the ass down and force us to jump through all the hoops. And I didn't want to do that. I was kind of like pushing this along. So. In, in, in going back over this, um, what I need to do, like I said, I need to get rid of the gag order, and that is why I talked to Rick Buckner on the night of the of October 5th, and I discussed it with him, everything about my, my Julie Winningham case to destroy any chance of a trial, which would force, okay. it, it force my, my attorney to plead me guilty in the case. In other words, he had no choice in the matter. He, he had no way of uh, taking me to court and and going to trial to prove what that that I did kill her, and then uh, uh, then they would have to get decide whether it was first or second degree. It didn't matter to me. And so that's why right. on the fifth of October, I went. I, I called a. I was talking to Detective Rick Buckner from oh, about eleven o'clock at night until about six o'clock in the morning of the sixth. And right. the interesting part was that on October 6th, when I was at the state police office in Multnomah County to take a lie detector test, that right after that, that the prosecutor in, in the Winningham case called up my attorney to tell him what I had done. And my lawyer was like, 
wondering what the hell I was doing. He, he, I threw away. I threw away his money. <laughs> yeah, it's like why? Well, is he you know, doing I didn't this? want to tell him. I didn't, and then at the time, I I didn't want to tell him right. I was doing this to get rid of the gag order because I, I I was fearful that my attorney would have, you know, he would go over there and he'd tell him that's why I'm doing it. And if I if right. he told them, then they they'd have well, other yeah, things would... they'd be trying to do to get you know to make this thing go their way, and I didn't want it to go their way. I wanted to push this along as fast as possible. Of course, like I said on October sixth, right. I took the lie detector test, and when I I told them when I was taking the lie detector test that I had a sore throat, and they said it didn't matter because it, it, it that's the way it is. And then of course halfway through the test, because I was passing it. They stopped the test and called it inconclusive and said it was because I had a sore throat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I mean, yeah, I mean, this is the sad part is we all know that there's like corruption in law enforcement. Yeah, no shit, especially here in Vancouver. <laughs> but at the same time, the general public wants to believe that, no, they're on the up and up. But they have a hard time admitting when they're well, wrong. Well, they don't want. They don't want to. You know, right? They don't want to remember. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, they, they want to play this along that uh, they did nothing wrong, and they're trying to push it on someone else. That's why at the end of this story, they yeah they, they say it's all of Vern's fault because she was implicated. Everybody, she was a master manipulator, and all this. And uh, you know, this is you know, I, I laugh because here they have scratches on their arms on October 6th because they're out there looking for the information. Oh, yeah. Trying to, trying to find the person that before the four scouts got out there. You know, and it was crazy because, you know, my yeah. attorney was, uh, and, and of course, when I, when they didn't find the purse on October 7th, you know, my attorney was like, uh, right. they didn't find it, Kate. And I said, yeah, I know they didn't. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, because <laughs> I, I like them because I couldn't trust the the prosecutors and the police in Multnomah County to do the right thing on their own. I couldn't trust them, so I had right. to like them. I said, "No, I'm not." Uh, until I could get someone to look after, look out, and, and and watch them to make sure they didn't destroy the evidence, right? What, or at least give them the impression that well, you know. That somebody well, I was gave out them, there. you know, I, yeah, okay. So, uh, like I said, in, in on on October 11th, when uh, Dale Thompson, you might look him up. I don't know if he's still around up there by Camas or Washougal in that area. But Dale Thompson, you know, he calls Phil Stanford uh, to verify the letter. And of course, on Thursday, October 12th, I got word to Detective Chris Peterson through his son. His son worked worked at the Clark right. County Jail, which is ironic. And, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, he had <laughs> access without having to come over and talk to me. He didn't, you know, he could come over and talk to me without, without kind of like uh, signing in, right? Because his son works there. Right. Which gave him access to me without, with, with his son. So that was kind of a scary thing to think about. But when he comes over and he says, right. and I tell him that I lied to him, and I also told him I, that Phil was on to, was, was out there looking at the area and, and maybe even looking for the person on, on his own, and I kind of hinted that wouldn't that be something if he found it? 
after they've already searched the area and didn't find it, which really scared the right. hell out of Peterson. And Peterson went out there and secured the area, and of course on October 14th they did find it. But it was under that right. impression that that I left left in their brains that they were being watched. No, exactly. Now, I exactly. Didn't know. Now you may have to may have to ask Phil Stanford this, but I didn't know whether or not he actually watched, went out there and watched, out there. or or was you know camped on the area or not, or whether he even looked. Right. That would be on you know he'll probably say now yeah. he did, but maybe he didn't. Maybe maybe he didn't. Maybe he thought that uh, I was just throwing a you know a curve at him or something. But he did get the letter. He didn't know where the real location was, and then it was good enough for me to, to tell Detective Peterson that he did know. And so, yeah, that's that, yeah. that was pretty much all you know. I thought would be the best thing for it was to implicate that they were, they were being watched and they not got destroyed, and then, and they didn't destroy it. Thank God. And then they, uh, right. yeah. Well, and. Even if he wasn't out there, I mean, it makes you think about it because what you already, because you wrote a letter way back when to him and then, you know, prior to that, before you got arrested, right? And then, what, um, what letter? With all that, he would know that you're on the up and up when you sent the second letter. So, therefore, it's like if it didn't come out that they found it, he could be like, you know what? Wait a minute. Why didn't you find it? It was right there. And, you know. Well, I, I only sent the, you know, I. As far as the letters go, I sent it to Phil Stanford. Mm-hmm. Phil Stanford. Right. I, I'm not talking about the happy face letter. I'm talking about the uh, the letter that I, I had smuggled out right. to no. about where the real location of the first was. Yeah. Right. But no, I was going into the fact that because um, you know you did write the happy yeah, face letter. Yeah, but prior that was to that, so when you sent him the second letter. Right. That was before my arrest. So when you sent him the second letter, he would know that you're on the up. Well, he would you know, know I mean? that he would think I so. was. But yeah, then, exactly. It, it, you know, yeah, but he so. was, he's, he's a reporter. You know, I mean, he's, I mean, he's he's trying to. He's, yeah, that's true. You too. know, the, 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 what I got from him when he sent me the letter when I was in after June when it came out that I was possibly the happy face. He sent a letter to me, in, in, you know, telling me that uh, who he was, and then he said, uh, "You need to help me prove that, you know, they were innocent, and I'm going to help him prove." Right. And I got the idea that he was looking for a Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> That's what he was right, looking right. for. So am I. He was looking no. for. He was looking <laughs> for the the the. the, the like my lawyer would be defining moment right. for his career, it would be defining moment for Phil's career right. to be the one to get these people out of prison with the help of the serial killer. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So at least exactly. I told him where it was, and then of course on October 14th, the search finds the purse, and then Tom calls me to tell me, "Good job, well done," and of course tells me that now the new story was that. I was involved in the case with those two, and that they were that right. we all did the murder, not just not just me, but all of them. And then, of course, on Monday, October sixteenth, I played guilty in the Winningham case, which removed the gag order. Now, part of the, one of the things I, I 
I wish I had done some part was to send off a press release to the press at you know when I when the gag order came off and not send that over there to Multnomah County with my attorney. I argued with myself over that because you know right. I had to look at it differently now. I needed their help to prove I was guilty in the case. Because if I if I made enemies okay. out of them, I mean real enemies, of course they could fight me all the way, and they could have still been in True. prison, or now they've been dead, but they, they would have still been in prison, and I would have maybe been down the road somewhere else. I don't know, but I felt that if I didn't right. give them the opportunity for an out, you know, let them kind of like find a way that uh, if I just kept forcing the issue. Like my attorney said, I, I had them in a corner, and they had to respond one way or another, and they could, you know, because if they're, you know, you, you poke a rattlesnake long enough, pretty soon it's going to strike back. That's and true. And sooner or later, that, that the whole case would, you know, it could just blow up my face. So at that point, they had to, yeah, that's they true had too. to work with me, because they literally had to, and then... Uh, because I agreed with not going to the press after I got the gag order taken off. That's when they decided to work with me on this. And, and of course, then they took their sweet time because eventually they just turned it over to the Judge Lipscomb. And then he just slowed it all right. down. And then, of course, on, on November 2nd, I was I was given the 30 years, the 20 minimum. And uh, then we had three of us were incarcerated for the same murder under different circumstances yeah okay now soon after that of course I, I, I settled the Marion County uh, the Pentland case and I'd say within that night so okay. from, from the point of uh, September 19th when I went public with all this until the 19th of December within 90 days I'd settled two murder cases in Oregon getting two people released from prison and another case in Washington State. I figured that I figured that was a pretty wow. good deal in ninety days to, to actually get three murder convictions done and, and two people released from prison. Yeah yeah, that is like unheard yeah. of. <laughs> and of course you won't hear about it in the news because in, or in the in the <laughs> out there because they buried it. <laughs> and that's what we're doing right. now. Well and I mean, and for people who don't understand, even when you have a manslaughter charge, it takes forever. Well, look to at go this case that's in, in in Idaho, right? They've got the guy in here. Oh, and yeah. His next time in court is going to be June. His next, you know, he's yeah. been there. He's going to sit in that yeah. jail until June before his next appearance in court. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is exactly. I mean, they, they arraign you, and then they take forever to do your preliminary hearing, and. You know, well, it's just you know, the COVID has, has pushed the, all these cases oh, yeah. have to push the push back. Uh, it's not un, not unheard of in California yeah. on a murder case to last nine or ten years in in, in trial process. All the different yeah, spent nine years in county jail waiting to get uh, sentenced. It would, would be, be hell. That's <laughs> like say, the difference between yeah, county jail and prison. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah, because, 
yeah, for people who don't understand, it's like county jail, it's like you got people coming in and out, drunk people, all that other stuff, and you never know what's going to happen. Where in prison, people try to find a routine. Yeah, well, well you know, you're because already, they know what's happening. Everybody knows everybody in prison being guilty, right? Or, or they claim right. you know, being other Shawshank Redemption. No, they're all, all innocent. <laughs> yeah, we're all innocent. <laughs> uh, we don't, we, you know, I was framed. I didn't do anything. Now, under that same concept what we just talked about, about I'm innocent. Uh, uh, okay, so right. Detective Al Corson, of, uh, that was investigating right. the Bennett case, if you were to ask him today about me, he would tell you he hates my guts, right? He hates my wow. guts. You know why? It's because he believes that I didn't kill Tanya Bennett. He believes that oh. Laverne and John still did. He believes that uh, wow. the governor or someone may, you know, has second thoughts about me getting them out of prison. For some reason, he's got this idea that 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 for some reason that I didn't do it. Now, I can go along with this to some degree because on December in December 1997, I'm sitting in the hole waiting to go to Wyoming. And I knew within several weeks of, of, of me going to the hole that I was going to Wyoming and that sooner or later someone was going to come over to talk to me about the Bennett case to try to tell me something different, trying to get me to change my story to some degree because of the way I was hearing it through the grapevine. And so Detective right. Al Corson comes to the hole and he comes in and, and he says... Uh, I believe you didn't uh, do this. And I said, you know what? You're right. I didn't do it. I, I just went along because I had told, I'd sent press releases out before I went to the hall to say that I didn't do it and that I, I never killed anybody. <laughs> and I wanted to throw <laughs> right. a wrench in the whole process because I knew they were going to come at me before I left the state to go to a place where I might not come back from. You get me? So that they right, were they exactly. were going to play this thing on me. So I played it back on them. I said, yeah, of course. And I sent the stuff. And these letters were sitting in the mailroom in the prison because I had an investigator here in the prison that didn't like me, and he, he, he liked to hold back my mail. So so oh, okay. I was talking to, to Corson there, and I said, no, of course I didn't do it. Phil Stanford, he was the one that gave me all the information on, on this. I... I, I I, I didn't kill anybody. I was, you know, I didn't kill the 166 people in, in 13 years, seven in Nevada, and, and I didn't do all this stuff. But, but of course, he he leaves and he's he's excited. He's going to go out and he and he gets. I told him I, I have letters in the mailroom where I just sent out to the different press, but you tell him the same thing. And he goes and he gets these letters and he he asks permission to take these letters with him and he runs up to his. Uh, his uh, boss, and he says, "Hey, man, I'm gonna. We're gonna need to reopen this case. We need to get these two people back in prison. We need to give Jesperson back his 30-year sentence. So we take that away from him. So he's he doesn't have this on his record. We want to make sure these people go. And he had a record. You know, he he was involved in that conviction, and he didn't want that to go away. And of course, what did his what his yeah. boss tell him? He said you need to put a stop to this." You know, quit talking about this, or you're going to lose your pension. And of course, if you were to, oh wow, if you were to like say, if you were to tell, talk to him today, and I I know this to be a fact because um, 
the the woman uh, that's writing the book, Briar Mitchell, wants to do the book on the Benedict. Right. She had talked to Corson in the last couple weeks, and this is what he said. He said he was he was he was you know, he believed that I I killed before the Bennett case, and but I never killed the Bennett case. I never did the Bennett case. What? So he believes you had a victim before. But Tanya yeah, Bennett he said I have eight. I died, have eight murders, but, but I I never okay. killed Tanya Bennett. That she is uh, that she was killed by Laverne and John. Com- you know, completely. That's wow. that's where his mind is at. So there's a there's kind of a conspiracy wow. theory thing now. Now, why would he come and talk to me? Well, because I believe he was duped. Seriously, I thought I think right. what happened is Multnomah County. They coached Laverne. They got her to say all this stuff and, and these stories. And then only after they've coached her long enough, they brought in Al Corson to listen to her. And then when he listened to her, it was almost like for the first time. And all of a sudden now he's hearing this story and he's going like, yeah, okay. So he's the one that brings credibility to a story that didn't have any credibility. And that's why he right. was used, and I think he was duped in that respect. I think that it was all about all about that, and uh, that's why, wow. like I say, the conspiracy theory that, that plays along is that uh, that uh, Detective Al Corson was was duped in the process, and he believes that they're they're really guilty, and and he really was, you know, he was, he still believes that. Right. And I think from his perspective, I mean, and I'm just spitballing here because I haven't talked to him, but um, I I would think from his perspective, he doesn't want to believe that, you know, other law enforcement officials would try to deceive him. I don't think it's in, you his, know what I I mean? don't think it is in his mindset at all. I don't think he, oh, okay. he never thought about that. I think he, he I think he thought he was he got, had a good relationship with Multnomah County and other counties. And that he was right. he was never be used in that way. Just for the idea that that he was going right, to be used exactly. in that way is completely outside of his his mindset. I don't think he'd ever think about it. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's something that it's like, nah, they would Yeah, he would never that. think about it. You'd you know? never think of that ever happening. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So wow. that was his it was his, his problem was that. Now um yeah, like I said, if you talked to him today, that's what he said. He'd be angry as hell at me, and he's mad, he's pissed, he's, and he wants uh, revenge and whatever mm-hmm. else. But he can't bring them back because they're dead, and, <laughs> and uh, the evidence is there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, we can try to bring him back, but that's how zombie apocalypse has happened. So, well, uh, he, we don't want that. Scott wants to bring back Laverne, but I whatever. <laughs> I do, uh, and here's why. Okay. <laughs> I do, and I'll tell you why. Because she died before I can get her on the damn show. How rude! Yeah, how rude! It's crazy. <laughs> That's messed up. I'm sorry. I probably need Jesus or something. How dare well, she you know, do that? You know, when they were getting out of prison on the 27th of November of '95, apparently when they were in court, she was making goo goo eyes over at John again, thinking that they might get back together again after they oh, were, wow. they got out of prison. <laughs> And I would think That's John crazy. would say, not in your life, but you never know about John. You know, he probably would have went like, all right, a piece of ass is a piece of ass. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. Probably what he would have thought coming out of yeah. prison, you know, that's probably what he thought. So he, he was probably looking over at it, <laughs> thinking, all right, maybe I want to go through a round two or three on yeah. this thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And I and I understand what you're talking about because, like I said before, I was in the co-ed prison for a while before I got out, and I saw some people. It's like, are you kidding me? You're hooking up with that? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it, it is what it is. They have they have a limited, um, you know, like a uh, they're all penned up. So what the hell, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's like they have a small pool to choose. Well, from. you're in a chicken coop. You just got another chicken. Only got another chicken to go for. <laughs> okay, so I got a minute right. remaining, so I'll call you back. Okay. All right. Talk to you here in a minute. All right, welcome back, Keith. Hey, one quick thing, by the way. Our mutual friend, Jen, yeah. in Florida, you broke her heart. Cause her, her, so her and I are talking on the phone yesterday, just chit-chatting back and forth, you know, shooting the shit. And then she goes, oh, my God, I got a call. I got, I, I'm getting a call from Keith. Goes, Sweet. Hangs up. She missed your call. I get this text. I'm so sad. I'm like, what would what, what Keith do, you know? I missed his call. Oh, know. oh that's I know. shitty. She gets, um, you know, she's. She's just caught up with this. You know, we've become friends really quickly. And and, and she feels, oh, yeah. no, she's she feels she's bad about missing my call if, if I try to call. Now, she's not the only one. I, I have that effect on women across the world, right? I'm sure you do, stud <laughs> master. You know what? You have never yeah, called I mean, me, I, so I, have, I don't even I know what that feels like. You, you don't want to call Squatch. You don't want to call Tammy. After they've missed my call, and they tell me that I missed your call. I'm awfully sorry, and I'm like... Gee whiz, come on. I mean, I'm not their only rodeo, right? I mean, gee whiz. Well, okay, so I have two questions for you that I kind of want to discuss today. Number one is, now that you brought it up, is there such thing as serial killer groupies? Yeah, very much. Okay, and you Um, have a bunch of them? It's like a fan base, I guess you'd call them. You know, people that would know. Okay. As far as groupie groupies go... I'm not so sure about the groupy groupy part, but as far as they want to be part right. of your life or they want me to be part of their lives, I have. I've, right. I've had. How many marriage well, proposals have you got? <laughs> I was just getting to that. Okay, so I oh, had, okay. had a woman come in to see me named Angie Perez, and she's a really nice girl. She's, she's a white girl, and she visited me as well as two other inmates, one in Pelican Bay and another one in Michigan. And the conversation we had when she came to visit me was about the other two visits she had with the other two men. So I imagine that the visit, when she visited one of the other men, they, the conversation she had with them is of visiting me and the other guy. <laughs> and she'd come in, and, wow. and I'd kiss her, and she'd come in and hold hands, and she was, like, really nice. And, and, and it was very nice to be with, but she was a nut. She was a, okay. a nut. Uh, she, I mean, <laughs> welcome so, to my world. We so have the same would, dating pool. You know, uh, you, when you're coming to visit with the individual that's here, you play. You're here to visit that individual. You don't mess around with other people while you're here. She would reach around and try to play right. with the guy's hair behind me. I'm like, come on, leave this. One. Give the guy alone. The guy was on death row for three years. <laughs> might not, might not oh my gosh! This, right. So yeah. So she was kind of like, 
but she was a nice girl, don't get me wrong. And then, of course, I, I met this uh, uh, woman named um, uh, Denise Fillan, which F-I-L-A-N, and she was the art director for the TV show The Family Guy. And she was on my visiting list, oh. and she was going to come in and see me. She's married. She has a nice husband over there in Long Island, New York. And right around 9-11, right after 9-11, she's, she, every time she sent me a picture, she, was in, she had a gun, a rifle, or something in her photograph. She was in camo. She's got this nice dark hair with a red streak down it. And she's very beautiful, very nice-looking woman. And she was going to come to visit me, only that, like I said, I had this uh, investigator in here that was riding my bike all the time named Bob Canoodle, or Carl Canoodle, I guess his name is. And Bob would uh, hold back my mail and everything with her and that. And she was putting money on my account, and he was, he was mad because of that happened. So at one point, the visit what she was going to have with me didn't happen because this place put a, suspended her from visiting me because Bob got involved oh, wow. and thought that, you know, that, and of course her house got raided and every gun was taken from her house. And uh, I was on the phone with her one day and I said, uh, you need to get a hold of a, a good criminal lawyer, not your family lawyer, and do what, they, do what the lawyer says or, or you're going to lose your kid. And that was... And the only thing I got oh, left wow. from that was a, a letter from a lawyer to cease and desist talking to Denise Philan. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, this, Damn this it. is the way it went down. Because it, this is how the prison gets involved in this stupid stuff, right? Now, I had this uh, other girl named uh, Carmen Mulch, and she's a professional painter. And I loved the girl. I really did. Uh, she had a son. She has a son named Zane Black, which is or Mark, but that's his the father's name, I guess, Black. And Zane was a nice kid. He came in and visited me, and um, I kissed on Carmen a lot. And I really liked, wanted to marry her, really did. Uh, but as oh, far wow. as you know, she had a had a problem. She said if her family found out about the relationship, it was over, regardless of what was happening with her life. It'd be over. And I really felt bad for Zane. Wow. I felt bad for the kid because she was right. putting, I don't know if I'd want a uh, role model as a serial killer, right? I didn't want my, right. I, wouldn't think, uh, I don't think that she would want her son to have a role model as being a serial killer in prison just because she likes bad boys in prison. And so I right. put an end to it. I, I contacted one of their family members who happened to live in Seattle, Washington, where I went to high school at. And I oh, let wow. them know that, that Carmen was coming to see me, which destroyed the relationship, of course. And then she, the only thing I got from her was like, I, I can't believe you did that. Destroyed the relationship. And then right. and she, she had about 40 or 50 of my drawings. And she got rid of every one of them, she says. Probably burned them or something. I don't know. Something like that. But um, if I could do over, right. if I was to do a do-over on that one, I probably wish I hadn't, hadn't destroyed that relationship. You know, she's a, she's an oil wow. painter. She actually painted Bill Gates. She actually did a, a portrait of Bill Gates for Bill. Oh. And so she's she's pretty good at at, at painting. She's a really nice really nice lady. But um, I kind of like destroyed wow. that. And then I've had girls like I had one gal in, in Texas that that wrote me that was married to a guy that was a little older, and she was talking about moving to Salem and being with me. <laughs> 
and another one that was married that was down in San wow. Leandro, California, that came up to visit me, and, and I, she was here for one day, then when she left, I thought she was gone. She came back the next morning, too. She just said she got all the way back to California, turned around, drove back here to visit with me again. And she was she was married wow. to a guy that was younger than her, and she's thinking about moving up here and divorcing him, and I said, oh, my God. It's, it, it's, it's yeah. you really start wondering about things like this. And is, are they groupies? Maybe. Uh, infatuated, maybe. Um, they they write right. and want, uh, let's say, out of a hundred letters I get, if I if I respond to every letter, maybe five will write me back. You know, the other rest of them, oh. they've got what they wanted, okay. they got a letter from me, and they move on. So it's, it comes down to, a, I think it's an accomplishment to, to get something from me, then move on. Well, yeah, because there's yeah. a market for it, unfortunately. We, you know, because um, we also found out that there's a market for, like, any kind of artwork from of an inmate. Any inmate. You know, especially yeah. a killer. So, yeah. Well, they... yeah. We found that out from Patrick Kearney. Yeah, because when uh, Patrick was writing Scott, he would send um, outlines of his hand. And that's because he didn't know how to draw. Yeah, I was sitting there and I had to write him and said, hey, what's up with the outlines of your yeah. hand? And then he told me. Yeah, exactly. So, well, the, you know. I've done the hand but, thing, right? Put the hand down and put it on the back like a signature. <laughs> and then people get mad because I didn't put yeah. the hand down on the signature. And then, of course, they want oh, me wow. to put just hands. Yeah, like, I, I, mean, got, I got thrown in the hole one time because I did. I did, took um, um, what was it, the uh, oil pastels with mixed with baby oil make kind of a paint. And I've got, I'd, I'd coat the, okay. my hand, my palm of my hand, and I'd put it on a piece of paper, and I'd have handprints on this piece of paper, and I'd write Keith Jesperson in the middle right. of it, you know, and um, and then, of course, they'd go and, and date it, you know, and stuff. And those were selling for $100 at one time, and probably selling for more now. Holy cow. But I, I, I threw right. up on now. What ended up happening is this Bob Canoodle, you know, the limp dick motherfucker. Anyway. Bob, <laughs> he, he gets involved, he gets involved in this thing, and he says, he writes me up for the, I'm, I'm sending out artwork that isn't artwork. He says, that's not art. That's, you're just making money oh, off okay. of who you are, because that's, even though it uses like a paint to do handprints, that's not art, and you're making money off of this. I was like, and? <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, like and so I was. I can't do that. Yeah. So I have to be careful. So. There's things that you know. I'm under direct orders. I can't put a smiley face on anything, right? I can't have a. I can't have a good day right. in a letter and put a smiley face. And I, if they really going to get technical, they could throw me in the bucket for it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because I was telling Scott about that. I was like, you know, yeah, because it's like anything to do with that, it might get you in trouble, and you know, because. And then Scott and I are of the mindset, it's like, because, you know, we write to you, we've written to some other people, that's no secret. Um, but it's like, somebody goes, oh, you could sell those because it's got their signature. It's like, Scott and I are like, no, we won't. Well, they want, <laughs> you know. know that, uh, let me take that with, when they want to buy things with a signature, there's a lot of people that are scared to write me. They're afraid that right. if, if, if they get a letter from me, that the evilness will rub off on them. And they'll become 
they'll, yeah, or they'll have you'll have their address. Oh, oh my God, I met him in person. The evilness, I feel well, it burning I had, a, soul. I had a psychologist <laughs> from North Dakota that was working in the insane asylum. For Christ's sake, she's the one that wrote me. I send her a drawing, and she starts writing back about how I must have been really um, mad when I drew this because of she sees all the implications in the drawing. I said, it's just a goddamn picture. That's all it is. Yeah. It's not, it has yeah. nothing to do with anger or anything like that. It's just, right. it's just a pretty picture. And they wanted to make right. something out of it than what well, it is. My daughter has the same problem. Melissa, I sent her a, wow. a, a birthday card that was actually a Boris Vallejo, Julie Bell type famous picture. I right. sent it to her, and she made it into a pornographic something. How dare I send that to my daughter? Yeah, How dare I heard I about send it that. To my daughter? Yeah, and yeah, because she made a big deal about it by saying, "I, I, I can't quote it exactly, so I might be a little off here." But like saying, it's like I can't believe he sent me stuff like that that kind of like implicated his fetishes and yeah. all this other stuff. It was so. it was that picture of uh, I think Julie's uh, Julie Bell's sister. She painted her climbing out of what would would appear to be an eggshell. I sent it to her for a birthday okay. card, right? And it was mm-hmm. I thought it'd be it's a fitting birthday card. You're climbing out of an eggshell. Yeah, but right. apparently, I mean, uh, famous fantasy art is is taboo now. When I can't send to my own daughter uh, a picture I thought was actually very nice looking and appropriate. Right. Now, her there was right, no nipple exactly. showing. There was no crotch showing. It was well, it is, but it isn't. It's all painted. It's paint. It's like right. a painted lady coming out of you know. It's like something beautiful coming out of an angel. Anyway. It's a famous picture. Yeah. Um, they're they're passed away. I think Julie Bell wow. and, and 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 them are dead now. Boris Vallejo, I think Boris Vallejo is, is no wow. longer with us, or who Julie Bell is. I don't know, one or both, something like that. Anyway, it was just I can't I cannot send wow. anything. I send a purse to my daughter Melissa, and she makes something out of that too. Uh, I had some You're leather. There's some people in here who do some very fantastic leather goods, and I I had paid for them. I sent right. one to my youngest daughter Carrie in Spokane, another one to Melissa, and then from what I understood, Melissa was on on you know on her podcast or or on some TV show, showing it off like, oh my God, how dare him send me this? <laughs> Trying to make wow. something of it. Well, some people. Some people just read into everything, yeah, exactly. and they want to put their own weird twist. You know, uh, I think we've all ran into that where you know you you make a joke. Me and me and my buddy, me and my buddy uh, Joel Balthazar, were actually talking about this just yesterday on the phone. Um, where you make a joke, and it's between two friends, but somebody on the outside will hear it, and they're like, oh my god, you can't say that, and they get all and they read way into this joke. When, oh, yeah. when, when when they didn't have nothing to do with the joke right, in the first place. you want place. to talk about a joke? I have a joke for you. I'll tell you on right now. I know it's, it's kind of crude. Okay. You might like it, might not. Okay. So oh, that's okay. This, this, this guy <laughs> comes back from his honeymoon, yeah. right? He's at work, and he, his friend uh-huh. comes over, and he says, Oh, you got married? And he said, Yeah, yeah. He says, What do you, you guys do? And he says, Well, we went fishing. You went fishing? Oh, yeah. He says, what better thing to do on a honeymoon but go fishing? He says, yeah. 
well, did you, um, when you at night, did you crawl in bed and did you get some of that? And he said, oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. She has gonorrhea. What? You had gonorrhea? And you couldn't <laughs> get some of that? Did you turn her over and get her on the backside? And he said, no, no, I couldn't do that either. She's got diarrhea really bad. Man, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. <laughs> well, then, anyway, so what did you do? Well, we went fishing. Oh, well, come on, man. He said, you also got something. She probably went down on you, right? She went down on you. She said, no, no, I couldn't do that either. So why not? So well, she's got pyrrhea. Well, wait a minute. Wait. She's got gonorrhea. <laughs> she's got diarrhea. And she's got pyrrhea. What the fuck did you marry her for? She said, well, she also got worms. You know how I would like to fish. <laughs> I was wondering where this was going, but no, that's actually kind of funny. I haven't told you that joke before. No, you have not told oh me that God. joke before. That's one of my See, favorites. And when he said it was going to be crude, I was like, I've heard Scott's <laughs> jokes. Nothing can be crude. Well, I like fishing too. Scott will call me up in the morning just to tell me stupid jokes. <laughs> so, uh, another side note while I'm still thinking about it. Dun, dun, dun. There's two things. One. Since you're on the show, tell Jen here on the show, be easier on your feet. So she had foot surgery and she's walking and her, now her foot's all freaking swelled up and she's bitching about, but I'm going to do six miles. And I told her she's a jackass to kind of take it off of her feet. So this is from Keith. Tell her, Keith. Well, tell I was her to call her this morning before I called you and I was going to say something, but uh, yeah, you need to get off your feet. Find some, find some kind of exercise that you're not walking around on. But that's okay. I'll, I'll call you later exactly. when you're, we'll have this conversation later in private. <laughs> yes, good idea. We will have this conversation, face, you know, not face-to-face, but over the phone ourselves. Yeah. Damn right, because I already chewed her about it. But, but I'm trying to achieve this goal. Said, yeah, your goddamn foot's going to well, fall I have, off. Well, I've had the it. The other one is. When I was climbing the rope in the gym in high school, and, and I fell at 30 feet to the floor, I, had, I know what foot problems mm-hmm. are. I've had three operations oh, yeah. on my legs oh, hell yeah. to try to you know make them better and everything like that. I still wake up. I still got uh, a pain in the left foot because it's fused solid. It wow. doesn't. There's no movement in the joints and in, in the, the arm right. itself. So there's no flexibility there. Well, a little bit of flexibility it would be, but there's nothing there, and it's like a club foot. foot it is. So I limp around quite a bit. It's not so bad now, but it was, you know, when I when I fell for years afterwards. It's one of those injuries wow. you have that you better take care of it while you, you know, when you can, because if you don't, Jen, it'll come back and and, and, and destroy <laughs> your life. You'll be hopping, hobbling around instead of hopping around. That's yeah. exactly what I told her. So, so does your does your do your joints ache really bad when we have weather like this right now? Like oh the no, cold and does, rainy? that doesn't affect me at all. No, no. Oh. Uh, because I have a, I have rods and pins in my right ankle, which you can actually feel. It's really which cool. I could. Um, but every time we have weather like this, it hurts like a horse kicked me. It well, hurts so bad. Well, I had so pins in my feet, and they took those out in the last operation. They 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 pinned my joints oh, okay. together with these staples. They looked really weird, but they hammered them. And of course, when they brought them, they hammered, they pulled them out. Out, but I don't have the the pins in there anymore. And so, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah, I. I had a, I broke my ankle really bad a couple of years ago. Actually, it, it was like, because one year I fell exactly on my birthday, fell down the steps and injured my shoulder. And then the following year, almost to the day, I fell off. 
out down the steps and broke my ankle and sh- <laughs> shredded oh. my meniscus. So, yeah, I have a rod and nine pins. Well, on that's my how they right identified. Now, that's really how they identified Angel Sabrina. She had a pin oh, in her hip, and, and I should have dragged her down the road another twenty miles. You know. Then the pen well, would yeah, have been gone. Then I I mean, they wouldn't on, have been an identifier. But yeah. you know, no, I shouldn't have done that. But anyway, it's, that's 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 how they officially identified her. The remains was because of the pen that she had in her hip when she broke her hip back when she was twelve years old. Right. Yeah, because they all yeah, have they serial numbers on them. Ridiculous how yeah. small the numbers are. But yes. So. Yeah. The one of the things that I wanted to talk about, so, which we'll do probably in the next phone call, is that mm-hmm. I wanted to tell about how, uh, partially on how I got to the point where I met Angel Sabres. Because okay. it's, it's a trucking so, story. It really is. It's about dealing with it's dealing with a trucking uh, okay. a steel company. But we'll get to that one on the next Scott call. Scott likes those. Right, right. Well, the other thing I wanted to touch on, because we just released a, uh, a new online store. It's, uh, for, it's through Etsy, uh, where we feature different serial killers on T-shirts with different sayings. And yours in particular. Yes. Because I love this story. I really freaking do. The Serial Killer Handbook. It actually has your picture on a, on a, on a uh, handbook. On a handbook. And it says Jesperson's Serial Killer Handbook or something yeah. like that. Get your copy of this. Jesperson, Keith Jesperson's self-starter serial killer Kill, handbook killer is what cat. it says. Yeah, the self-starter serial killer cat. Yeah, something on it. Yeah, yeah. We, I love that it, story. It, it's kind of a comical yeah. story, but it, it, when I when I made up that, uh, the kit itself, it's, it's just an advertisement for something that doesn't exist. That's all it is, an advertisement. Right. There's no kit. I always wondered how many people sent ninety nine ninety five right. to right. Wayland Industries. No, probably. <laughs> probably. I There's probably did. a ton I of them because people are dumb. I want, I, want a, I, want a, I want one of those kits. And so I wonder how many was sent, sent yeah. you know, ninety nine ninety five to Waylaid Industries, 666 Cemetery Lane, Suite 13, located <laughs> in the basement of Throttle and Choke Casket Rentals, 989, nine, you know, in Battleground, oh Washington, of all places, 98ICU. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's... Kind of even more comical about that is um, we re- we actually featured another guy who would travel around the United States and everything, and he had one buried. He had what he called his kill kit. Several of them buried oh. in various places, so he never physically yeah. traveled I mean, with that, them. That, that's a felony in itself having, so, a, having, a, having a kill kit. What they call a kill kit. Yeah, exactly. Which my daughter, my daughter yeah. Melissa, so it was I just. Had. Right, she because had a duct of the duct tape, supposed duct tape that rolled have. out, and, I mean, I didn't yeah, have a all that stuff. Kit. God, you know, I mean, seriously, right. when does when does every driver a carries roll, a duct tape roll around in the truck? Come on, right? Well, <laughs> and not just that is, I had duct tape in the back end of my car for a long time. And it's like, uh, you can't say I'm a serial killer because I'm one of the nicest people around. Well, I am a nice You are horrible, <laughs> and we know it. Nice I'm waiting for you to kill somebody. That's a, when, you, when you do the killer cat, you are the nicest person left around. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> that is true. No, honestly, Keith, you are, you, you are one of the nicest guys, man. I enjoy our conversations on and off air and, you know, and, and the whole shot. He, everybody wants to see... 
you know, serial killers as monsters. Yeah. And and it's and some are. Some are. Some are truly monsters. However, I'm finding more and more with the more people that I talk to who are serial killers that most of y'all well, are we not. Just, we just we go yeah. through the motions, we end up we end up we get caught up, let's just say. We get caught up in something that we shouldn't right. be caught up in. And it becomes right. uh, the norm for our lives. We actually we become accustomed to murder. And we don't see it as much as, as a right. big problem. The murder's not the problem. It's getting away with it is the problem. And if we kept on getting away with it, I wouldn't be here. I'd still be out there getting away with it. And not, and not thinking right. much about it. So would you, like, uh, I don't know how to word this right. Would you, So would you say it's kind of like an of addiction type thing? It is, actually. Okay. That's, that's about, it's like... Okay, you ever want shoplifting? Okay, if you're, you're oh, yeah. a kid, you're I did one time, well, and you, you didn't get caught, yeah. so you did it again. And you didn't get caught, so you did it again. Yeah, unfortunately, I what, did. That's so. what you're doing. You're, you're basically uh, you're a glorified shoplifter, and you're killing people instead. And that's basically, right. or you're taking okay. a drug, and you, kind of makes sense, yeah. there's a kind of euphoria uh, about... Uh, taken a life. It's almost like there's there's kind of a rush, an adrenaline rush. And it has to do with, it has not really right. to do with the murder itself, it has to do with getting away with this. It, the idea, the idea of getting away with this. And all the effort it takes okay. to make sure you get away with it. This is where the, the energy, uh, if you're tired and you kill someone, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're up and your your mind is alert. To everything, and right. when your mind gets alert, now after 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 the whole ordeal, you're tired. Why? Because your mind works so hard. It's like um, when I was running a right. backhoe and I was digging a swimming pool around a house, and I had to watch where my bucket was so I didn't hit the house. I had to watch where that I hit the power lines. I didn't have my mind was always occupied of where everything was. And when I was digging right. this thing at the very end of the day, I was exhausted. Why? Because my mind worked harder to, to, to deal with this. And this is what you're dealing with when you're dealing with yeah. getting away with a crime. Your mind is working all the all right. you know, 100% or more waiting for, you're looking for the abnormality of, of life around you. Yeah. Well, and I can understand that. I mean, because you can, I mean, for people who don't understand what addiction and stuff is all about, um, I would equate that to like, you know, you get in a car accident, so you're like super alert and you have this huge adrenaline rush. And then it's like a half hour, hour later, once that wears off, it's like, yeah, you just want to go to right. sleep. You just want to you lay down <laughs> you know? and go like, man, I'm tired of this. I'm a, that's why like when, when a person yeah, gets... Yeah, okay, exactly. So when most people that have committed crimes get arrested, and when they're arrested, these uh -huh. people are laying in their bunks asleep. They're not... They're resting. You know why? Because exactly. they don't have to worry anymore. They don't have to hide it anymore. Yeah. The, the thought, the constant thought process of having to worry about what other people are looking at all the time and worried about getting away with this, and this is not just over when right. you got rid of the body. You're still waiting for that knock on the door by the police. You know, you're thinking that something's going to happen. Right. So, but when you get arrested and all of a sudden you're, you don't have to worry anymore. Man, you, I slept really good. Right. 
Well, see, and a lot of people, unfortunately, like even psychologists, trained psychologists, say that when you can sleep like that after you get arrested, it's because you're a sociopath and you have no remorse. No, I oh. get it. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know what? I don't have to run anymore. I don't That's have to right. think about it anymore. You don't have anymore. to worry about who's, who's coming yeah. after you. They already came after you. They're already yeah, there. Exactly. They got you. you may have to worry about what's going to happen yeah. in court, but, you know, that's another day. But but for the time being, yeah. you're no longer running anymore. You're no longer pushing to to find a, a, another another victim or not or, 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 or another crime. You're right. Not, you're not looking you're not over your shoulder. You and... not have to worry about what you're saying yeah. to people so it doesn't come back. Like, I was in a bar, okay, of all places to be. Because I was in a bar, and I, I ended up... Uh, uh, was talking to a gal in there and a couple others, and I was talking to him, and I was wearing this really nice leather jacket. And someone asked me where I got the leather mm-hmm. jacket from. I said, "Man, I, this really nice lady named Karen Ruiz that lives in in Sun City down in Nevada. She gave it to me. So and then he, and they said, "Well, where's Karen now?" And I said, "I don't know. She could be in a ditch, as far as I'm concerned." And that's what I said. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Damn. I didn't mean it literally. I just said she's no longer in my life. Right, 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 right. I just said it. And then next thing you know, I'm, I'm walking out of this place, and there's two cops out there, so we need to talk to you. Someone dropped a quarter on me saying that I'd, gone, I'd killed my girlfriend and gave me the leather jacket. And so this was in Troutdale. Wow. I was over there, and they, they pulled me. The Troutdale police pulled me out there. And I was like, um, no. I said, I, I might have had a mis, misworded it, but... Something along the lines of, you know, Karen's no longer in my life, but she's still there. She gives great ad. Here's her phone number. Go ahead and call her. She might <laughs> might pull you in on that. She might hook you whoa, up. Whoa, hang, <laughs> on. hang on, hang on. you got a good memory. Yeah. Give me that phone number. <laughs> Scott, um, yeah. What? She's, I go to Nevada. She's down there. She's a great girl. She is. She's a great girl. I, I met her in Fallon, Nevada. Now, this, there's, a, there's a funny story to this. When I was in Fallon, I was at the uh, Stockman's Casino. And I was in there playing. Uh, remaining. I'll call you right back. Okay. All right. All right, boys and girls, you're going to have to wait until the next episode of the Keith Jesperson Calls to get the cool story that we already heard. <laughs> That's right. I'm cruel. <laughs> you, know what, you know what, though? What I found interesting about the second call here was the fact that he had already killed people. Yeah. And he's getting, you know, he's being confronted by this cop out at a casino <laughs> thinking, oh, crap, they busted me. And that's all he could think about. And then it turned out to be something totally different. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, so, it ends up being totally I mean, different bullshit. Considering I've never killed anybody and had to, like, keep thinking about that, I just... What, tried to place myself in his shoes at the time and thinking that would have been kind of terrifying and an adrenaline rush all its own. I don't know. You know? I heard about some uh, people that picked up prostitutes that died in your area. <laughs> I hate you. Just saying. <laughs> so, no, you haven't killed anybody that you've admitted to. <laughs> and again, I'm not a hooker on the street. Your new name is Hookerella. You realize that, right? <laughs> yeah, Squatch, I noticed that. Squatch the Hookerella Underwood. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> you are horrible. Horrible. 
All right. So let's do some business and end this one right here on, That's right. on the happy note because I make fun of Tammy all the time. Remember to check out our <laughs> Etsy shop. Get onto Facebook. Check out the Citizens of Brutal Nation. Or is, is it the Citizens? It's just no, it's Citizens, citizens of Brutal Nation. Yeah, not citizens. the. Yeah, yeah. Right. just okay. Citizens. What else? Uh, yeah, check out the Etsy shop. There'll be links uh, down here in the, the description. Right. Remember, you can also send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. This show is copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And remember, boys and girls, if you're hearing this on anybody else's podcast or show, they're lying, thieving bastards. There you go. We will see you guys later on for part two of this week's call-in from Mr. Keith Jesperson, the happy face killer. Bye-bye. Bye.